the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful <laughs> spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Bless it be, y'all. Bless it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Hey, witches. Welcome back. This is That Witch Life Podcast. I am your host today. I'm Courtney, and I am here with Hillary. Hello. And Kanani. Hello. And I'm a little spacey today because I had a Kanani lunch, which involved two peanut butter cups and also might have involved an extra spoonful of peanut butter out of the jar. Um, And then I was full and didn't feel like having like a sandwich or anything. And I thought, that's fine. You know, I'll be okay. And then it's not fine. It's not fine. (laughs) It's, It's not. I mean, Kanani has said she lives on sugar, runs on sugar and... I've done this twice now and I just keep forgetting that if I just have sugar for lunch, um, the afternoon and the evening doesn't go well. Um, I don't know how you function. I don't understand. That's like my diet is peanut butter cups. That's hor- That's Pretty horrifying. Much. And sugar, <laughs> peanut butter cups and sugar. Cause peanut butter cups are not sugar. On I think I had, I had, I, what did I have for lunch? I know I had ice cream. I know I had some lavender ice cream at lunch. I'm trying to remember if I ate anything else. The cone. I had one of those iced Starbucks coffees. Jesus. Girl, you got to eat some real food. Your poor body. She actually ate spinach when she was at my house last weekend. We had a socially distanced late Kanani birthday dinner in the backyard until it started raining. And then we had a socially distanced there on one side of the downstairs. We're on the other side of the downstairs and Kanani actually ate three bites of spinach. It's a miracle. I mean, granted, it was soaked in butter and cheese, but <laughs> there was spinach in there. She's like, I like these. I like this spinach. I'm like, that's because I cooked it in butter and I've loaded it with Parmesan cheese. And she's like, oh, yeah, I think that's why. Yeah, there was a reason I was willing to put it on my plate. <laughs> oh, my God. The cheese was the cheese was obvious. <laughs> Today oh we God. have a very seasonally appropriate show. Uh, Mortellus, the author of "Do I Have to Wear Black: Rituals, Customs, and Funerary Etiquette for Modern Pagans," is joining us to talk about funeral rites for funeral rites. See, this is why I shouldn't eat sugar for lunch. Funeral rite for witches. Look at me. I said the line. Um, and before that, Hillary is going to talk with us about uh, the use of Damiana in magic. Um, but first, given that it's October, I think we have some major check-in to do around what kind of magic are we making these days? And that includes the mundane, what kind of movies are you watching these kind of days? Because we all know those are all all magical. So Hillary, what is what is on your witch's docket for this very potent time of year? Well, <laughs> um, this time of year... I usually am like, what is every witch-related Halloween movie that I can watch every night? Um, so, yeah. I mean, I've just been going through, like, I rewatched Practical Magic for the, like, 5,000th 5, 5, time. 
Um, I watched, what was the, what did I watch last night? Oh, I like rewatched Sabrina, like the newer one, like from start to finish. Cause I was like, I don't really remember most of this because you know, I like watched it forever ago. Um, and that was, it's fun. I mean, it's like, again, you know, witchcraft movies, not a lot of accuracy sometimes, uh, but fun to watch none, nonetheless. So, um, and then magically I've been doing a lot of, I, I have felt, uh, both in my house and in myself, a lot of stagnation. So I've been doing a lot of work on shifting, like getting energy moving, clearing out stagnant energy. Um, so I've done a lot of bath work on myself and then, um, I've used, I've used a lot of smoke cleansing, um, with cedar, uh, recently just to kind of shift some energy in the house that was feeling a little heavy. Um, and other than that, just trying to keep myself calm as we approach the election, (laughs) which is, uh, increasingly challenging. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, and um, so uh, so what is it about cedar that's different? Because I know that you've in the past used rosemary and other things. What about cedar is really calling to you right now? Well, I mean, I like to change up what herbs I use for smoke cleansing. Um, you know, I try I try and stay away, well, specifically from white sage, but just sage in general because of the effect it has on Native American cultures, specifically with white sage. Um, but I will... Some, but I, I like, I switch up cedar, rosemary. Sometimes I use Damiana. Sometimes I use, uh, yarrow. It, it kind of varies. But when I, uh, when I was last at QMEB, uh, they had some really nice cedar, cedar bundles. So I, I grabbed one and it smells lovely. Mm, cedar does smell so good. It's like, it's so nice. Plus it's kind of that like remind, it's like, I don't know. It just, it's a comforting scent to me, you know, um, yeah, like, there is something very, very homey about yeah. it. And it, it reminds me of coming in from a rainstorm. I don't know yes, why. No, same. I agree. Um, and I think that it, I'm drawn to it around this time of year, probably because it's a smell that I find comforting. Um, and I think this time of year, I tend to get like, I'm like, I want to be cozy. I want to make food that it feels nourishing and comforting. I want to make, you know, I want to like feel warm. And so cedar scent is a really like warm scent for me. Um, and, and magically it's, I mean, it's a really, it's really good for, uh, cleansing a space. Uh, it's very similar to sage in that sense, but a good alternative, um, because of the impact. So I think that, um, it's something that I swap up to that or rosemary are tend to be my go-tos. Um, but I was like, oh man, I haven't used or Yerba Santa as well, but like, uh, I, I was like, I haven't used cedar in a while. And then when I saw that, I was like, ooh, smoke cleansing with cedar sounds mm. lovely. And so I kind of went through my uh, my space and, and just kind of smoke cleansed the area and really focused on letting kind of the stagnant, heavy energy. It was specifically in my office. I felt kind of stuck at work. Nice. 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 What about you, Kanani? What have you got on your witch's in your witches, whatever. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something clever to say. What are you doing right now? As far as kind of festive stuff, I would just say we just watch Halloween movies all the time. We've watched Nightmare Before Christmas. We always watch The Addams Family 1 and 2. Usually watch Casper. Um, watch. Uh, we've already watched Halloween Town 1. We haven't watched the second one yet. 
We've already seen Hocus Pocus half a dozen times. I haven't actually rewatched Practical Magic yet this this season. I know that 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 will happen. Um, but yeah, just kind of the house has been decorated since August. <laughs> so, you know, we've been well into the festive festive mood. The kids actually have costumes. We're not going to go trick-or-treating. We're just going to, we're going to kind of do everything we used to do, which was um, we would go get pizzas. And at this time of the year, they do kind of pizzas that are shaped like a pumpkin, look like a jack-o'-lantern. And so we'll get one of those. We'll eat pizza, hang out at home. We'll watch, we'll have candy and whatnot. And then we're just going to watch Halloween movies and stay in this year. And then we always have uh, a plate that we put out uh, for the people passing through and just kind of light some candles and things like that. So we're just going to kind of do everything we would usually do, only instead of trick-or-treating, just watch movies and eat, sit on the couch and eat candy. So the kids are perfectly content because they're still going to get candy and they still get to wear costumes and they still get to eat pizza. So they pretty much had all of their boxes checked. So I think... Uh, I think this is probably the one year that we'd be able to get away with not taking them trick-or-treating. I think any other time they would be absolutely against the concept, but this year they seem to be pretty happy with just kind of going with the flow. So that's kind of been our plan is, you know, that's kind of our magical whatnots. I think I was talking to my daughter about, um, cause they, they go to a Spanish immersion school and so they're learning to be bilingual. And so they learn a lot about Dia de los Muertos and so we oftentimes will put out pictures of our ancestors that have passed and whatnot uh, around the, the altar and, and whatnot for Samhain. So we'll probably be doing that again. It'll be good. That totally made me forgot to tell you that I like decorated the shit out of the front of my yeah. house. Yeah. Oh, and you can oh. see was, it. Oh my God. It's so good. I have like, uh, you should, you, I feel like it's not as good if it's not at right. night because we have a projector of ghosts like flying across the front of the house. Oh. Um, and then we have, I have like, I put up these little ghost like stake lights that's that are like up around the front of the house. And I have two witches' feet that light up that are coming out of the ground, and then a bunch of spider webs. And um, and then yeah, a little a little uh, some witches' legs with the witches in uh, on the front door. And then um, you should leave that up year round. Speaking of all the things that you guys mentioned, the front of our house is looking awfully awesome. We have a light up skeleton mermaid that is making all the walkers stop and and giggle and take pictures and we just found this giant seven foot witch on ebay which we hang up in a tree she's meant to like float um and my husband got these floodlights to shine up on her and it's really terrifying i'm so excited so we we oh are, my god that's legit it's oh no it's serious and we have we call him fred because he was a a dancing skeleton but his motor broke. So now he just stands there looking kind of sad. And we have some other things going on and um, like this, this light up gate around the front of the house. So we're definitely, nice. yeah. And that's the, the, my goal with decorating for Halloween is that everything be secondhand or made by an artisan. So I really, 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 really try to avoid getting the mass produced stuff out of factories, the the creation yeah. of which is just horrible for the environment and they don't last long. And so they end up in landfills in a couple of years. And so I, every and year, also the labor situations yes, in a lot of those factories are horrendous. Yes, exactly. Thank you for mentioning that. So what I do is 
there are a lot of problems with Goodwill. I'm not going to say that they're perfect, but at least then we're getting mostly used items. So I spent a lot of time going through the Goodwill and I will pick up, uh, I found a lot of great decorations there. And then yard sales and eBay is super fun because you can find all kinds of stuff people are selling on eBay. I got this 24 inch doll, a bride doll, and she's terrifying. She's missing her eyes. They didn't tell me this when I bought her, but I'm really glad because I was going to take the eyes out anyway. And so my plan is to like rig her head so that her eyes light up and then take her veil and put it over her face. And Kanani made a good suggestion. She's like, have her in the front window, but facing the trick or treaters when they walk up. I'm like, that is mortifying. So I'm just trying to figure out That's like amazing. how to rig her, but she's really scary. Cause I, so I do I have a baby doll in a white dress with beautiful, like luxurious curly hair and she has no eyes and they will be glowing. So she's probably also the source of those strange noises that happen downstairs at night while I'm trying to sleep. So yeah. I used to, I used to have this, uh, this, well, I moved into this house when I first moved back from England that I took on from like a friend of the friend, a friend of a friend. And with this house came this creepy as fuck, like real looking, like Halloween set doll. I mean, like life size doll um, that we named Blair Yokta, Blair Blair Witch, right? Yeah. She has her own Facebook page. um, And I think she is no longer, sadly, but she was in our basement. But that was also where our laundry was. So you go down into the basement and then every, like literally I knew she was there. I'd be like, Blair's here. I'm going to walk in she's going to be right there. It's going to, oh, my fuck, Blair! <laughs> like every time, That's every so time. Good. And I played so many pranks on so many people where like they would be taking a nap in the second bedroom and I'd have her like just directly in front oh, of their door. So asshole. when they opened the door, Sorry. they would just lose their shit that is a terrible thing to do. I'm so wish I was, it was there. I would have helped you. Oh my God. It was so funny. Like, just like I had a, a friend who was, who is an amazing tenor opera singer say, and the scream he made was like, I was like, I wish I could have recorded it because he has such a high voice to begin with. And he was like, screamed and then was just like, no. And then another friend just like screamed, no. And then slammed the door. And I mean, it was just like, we did this so, I mean, so many pranks. People would come over to stay in the house. We'd hide her in the shower. So you you wouldn't see her until you were washing your hands and you'd see her like peering out no, of the shower. Hillary, that's cruel. That is cruel. <laughs> oh my God. And like no one trick-or-treated and I'm positive it's because that bitch was too scary for anyone, including adults, to come up to the house. <laughs> I miss, I mean, like literally she has a Facebook page and there are some really funny pictures of her on there. I feel like we should link it in our podcast. Notes. I think we definitely have to link it in our podcast notes. My old, my old roommate, Micah runs that page. I think he's the one that started it and he's going to be like, why is there this influx of like 300 people trying to friend Blair oh on God. Facebook? All right. This well, is why, anyway, Micah, this um, is why speaking of, something that has nothing to do with Damiana. Hillary, why don't you tell us about the use of Damiana in witchcraft? Oh man. So I love Damiana for a number of reasons. Um, so I, I like knew, so medicinally, historically from a medicinal purpose, this, this herb is known to be calming. It's like often used in nerve tonics and it's also an aphrodisiac. So as you can imagine, it's really good in 
meditation work. It's also incredibly good in love and sex magic. So, um, but there's also a few added bonus things. So uh, it's known to in- enhance clairvoyance or psychic abilities. So if you are trying to connect with uh, with something or if you're trying to get clarity on something, you feel stuck and you need not getting a clear message, it could be a good herb to use in that scenario. Um, it is, as I said, an aphrodisiac. And so it is really good in love charms and love spells and to use in sex magic. So um, I, I, it can be really good in uh, spell jars. Uh, it can be really good in bath magic. So if you're doing bath magic to focus on your love, again, I'm, you know, like it's more, you know, there's no, or it's not, there's nothing that you could or should do uh, to can, you know, to lure someone to you unwillingly. Uh, but if you are building upon, um, you're trying to reignite something or you're trying to heal some, you know, some love, I specifically like it in bath magic when you're trying to kind of heal a heart, uh, when, and focus on kind of self-love, I think it's really beautiful because of its calming effects. So I like it if I'm feeling like I need a little self-love or my heart needs a little care, I like to use it, um, in the bath. Um, but you can also burn it like an incense. So it can be really good if you're trying to focus on something, you're trying to meditate on something or get clarity on something, you can use it to smoke the space. You can breathe it in. Um, if smoke is something that's okay for you, uh, and it can, it can kind of help get you into that centered focused space so that you, that you can get the, the information you're needing. Um, and then, yeah, in sex magic as well, it's really good. You can put it on an altar. If you have an altar that's uh, you know, a personal altar that you have a focus on either love or sex. Uh, it's good to, to use, to dress a candle. Again, if you're putting herbs on top of a candle, be careful, watch it. Don't leave it unattended because sometimes it can like suddenly get really fire-like. Um, and, and then, yeah, you can just also just place it on the, on the altar as well, or use it as an offering. If you're asking a specific deity, um, about to bring, you know, to like help with love or with self-love. Outstanding. Well, thank you for that. Um, witches jars, it's something we should absolutely talk about at a certain point because they are so, so, so very helpful to a lot of magic. So hang in there, witch friends. Yeah. We will eventually get to all of these topics, probably on episode number 3,412. But... <laughs> 3,412 when we finally talk about spell jars. <laughs> no, it won't take that long, guys. But yes, we're trying to get through... Okay, 2,012. <laughs> Anyway, a couple of quick announcements for everybody. Um, There are still tickets available for The Dangerous Goddess, which is the class I'm teaching um, through Pathways, and it is on November 10th at 7 p.m. Central Time, which is 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. New York City. Um, There are some, like I said, there are some tickets left, and um, they are $20. If you can't make it, don't worry. It will be recorded and sent to you afterward. So go to our um, website, and under our show notes, you will find the link link to um, sign up for the class. And uh, apparently, Kanani, um, we are rolling through our witch kits pretty fast. I think we still have a couple left, don't we? We do still have some left. And um, there is a chance that I'm going to be able to make more if demand if demand requires. But at this point, yeah, we actually had a ton of people that already pre-did orders and that we've already mailed out. And it was freaking awesome. So definitely get your spell kits while we still have them and while we're able to make them. 
Yeah, and perfect time because these are ancestor spell kits and you can use them year round, but they're specifically, you know, timed so that you can have them in time for Samhain if you would like to do some ancestor work. We've got you all covered with um, herbs that Hillary has cultivated herself, a spell that I wrote, and some other delicious little trinkets that um, Kanani has collected for us. So definitely get on those. Um, but yeah, they're, they are moving pretty fast. They're on our Etsy store. And um, yeah, you can get them. Um, find the link on our website for that. And also giving a huge thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. And um, as a reminder for our squad level, um, at $5 a month or above, you get access to our private Facebook page to hang out with us and other witches just like you. Other ways to support the show. Um, if you can't do a monthly donation, totally understand. You can always buy us a coffee or buy that Witch Life merchandise on Etsy, like the Ancestor Spell Kits. And also consider becoming an episode sponsor. It's a great way to promote your business to all kinds of witches out there. Um, you can also just purchase a shout out to let people know about um, whatever event that you're hosting, or if you want to wish your coven a happy Samhain, since you all can't be together in person, um, as you should be socially distancing, you can still wish them love through our show. And um, you can find out more on our website at thatwitchlife.com. Are we ready for a word from our sponsors? We are all stuck inside, bored, trying to find things to do. There is pretty much no better time to focus on your witchcraft studies and increase your magical skills. That's why we are thrilled to have Sacred Mist Academy of Magical Arts and Sciences as an episode sponsor. Since 2002, Sacred Mist Academy has offered comprehensive online magical training programs with working witches around the world, including first through third degree Wicca training and an elder program available for initiates of the Sacred Mist tradition. Other programs include historical paganism, herbalist certifications, spellcrafting classes, tarot courses, Reiki training, and more. There are lots of enriching classes to choose from. Plus, if you just aren't getting enough of your That Witch Life hosts, our very own Courtney offers a spellcrafting and spellcasting certification through Sacred Mists. I've attended more than one of her classes over the years, and shh, don't tell her, but they're always pretty great. So get signed up and level up your spellcasting skills. All courses have their own private groups where students can gather and connect with other students. Students also have access to Sacred Miss Circle, a completely private, student-only social media platform, not Facebook, with profile pages, discussion boards, groups, blogs, a searchable book of shadows, videos, music, and more. Other Sacred Mist Academy social groups include witchcrafting, if you're interested in creating your own tools, a divination group to discuss decks and chair readings, empath groups to explore this gift and learn about shielding, healing, kitchen witchcraft, and more. Join the Sacred Mist live chats for rituals, live divination readings, study halls, and social gatherings for and by students. To enroll, go to sacredmistacademy.com and enter Witch Life during registration to receive free enrollment, a savings of $30. Monthly tuition then depends on which course or courses you take. Limit one per student, available until December 31st, 2020. Manifest the change you want to see in yourself and the world around you through Sacred Mists Academy. Now, we know you're already in love with Sacred Mists because of the Academy. Guess what? Sacred Mists also has a shop offering over a thousand witchcraft tools, supplies, and gifts, including crystals and gemstones, incense and candles, hand-rolled beeswax spell candles, and other spell supplies. 
This is literally a one-stop shop for witchcraft supplies, y'all. Sacred Mist Shop also offers over 75 plant seeds specifically curated for the witch's garden, including healing and magical herbs, flowers, and plant seeds, just a few of which include belladonna, mandrake, sweetgrass, moonflower, patchouli, elderberry, and mugwort, and many more. Their divination tools include tarot and oracle decks and a gorgeous natural polish, a black obsidian scrying mirror with ornate antiqued brass stand available in two sizes. Sacred Mist Shop offers everything you need to set up your magical space, including wands, athames, hand-carved gemstone runes, and wooden rune sets, god and goddess statuary, and more. They have some absolutely beautiful, unique goddess statues that you don't see in every store to better make your own ritual space unique to you. There's even a fully stocked chest of witchcraft supplies, which include all the basics, the perfect gift for your favorite witchlet who's just starting out, or just to treat yourself. Come on, you deserve it. Plus, Sacred Mist Shop offers a wide variety of jewelry and books. Purchases at Sacred Mist Shop help support the education and training programs offered at Sacred Mist Academy. To get 10% off your purchase of $35 or more, go to sacredmists.com and use code WITCHLIFE at checkout. Offer available until December 31st, 2020. Sacred Mist Shop, offering unique and handcrafted witchcraft and Wicca supplies to the pagan community since 2002. Thank you to Sacred Mist Shop and Sacred Mist Academy for being an episode sponsor. I love supporting small farms and herbalists. Fox and Elder is a small farm just north of Nashville, Tennessee, run by Sarah Schuster, who is an herbalist, herb farmer, and plant witch. Their work not only offers a variety of herb-based products, but also offers education on homesteading and herb cultivation. Fox and Elder's products include teas and tinctures, including a line of tarot teas based on the major arcana. I'm a huge fan of elderberry syrup and love seeing that in their shop, as well as the calming down flower baths. Fox and Elder also offers a monthly zine called Full Moon Fill Up that offers tarot spreads, herbal profiles, and recipes. The Samhain issue will have a focus on ancestral work, a tarot spread for the full moon in Taurus, and an herbal profile on Skullcap. Fox and Elder also offers a podcast called Tending Seeds, which covers a variety of homesteading and herbalism topics available on all major platforms or directly on their website. So be sure to subscribe and add Tending Seeds to your listening rotation. Their podcast episodes follow the seasons and do deep dives into gardening and how to find powerful magic and healing in different herbs you can find in your yard or just along the road. As a witch who is learning more about having a witch's garden, there is a ton of valuable information given in each episode. To receive 15% off your first purchase of teas, tinctures, or a full moon zine subscription, go to foxandelder.com and enter code THATWITCHLIFE at checkout. Fox and Elder, meeting you where you are, offering a variety of ways to step into the plant path. Thank you to Fox and Elder for being an episode sponsor. Hey, witches, content warning. This next section includes a survivor story regarding childhood sexual abuse, religious trauma, and suicide for minutes. 32 to 43. In addition, there is a discussion of mortuary practices for minutes. 44 to 50. 
If you or someone you know is currently experiencing abuse or thoughts of suicide, please contact the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255, the Trans Lifeline at 877-565-8860, or RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network at 800-856-HOPE. Well, we are delighted to welcome Mortellus, who is the High Priestess of the Coven of Leaves in Western North Carolina, our Gardnerian coven operating an outer court training group who like to say that they are a bubbling cauldron of bitter esoterica slithering their way through Western North Carolina. Oh, my heart. Additionally, <laughs> Mortellus is, is a mortician, author, medium, and necromantrix. Their book of pagan death rites and rituals for Llewellyn, Do I Have to Wear Black, is set to come out February 8th, 2021, with multiple additional book projects under contract. Currently, she resides on three acres that are hastily becoming overgrown again with her partner, adult child, two-year-old Afab Amab twins, and one really, really ridiculous dog. Martellus, welcome to your people. We're delighted to have you. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And yes, my dog is very ridiculous. <laughs> um, so Martellus, asking you the question we ask everybody who comes on our show, how did you know that you were a witch or a magical person? Ooh, that's, you jumped right into a question. That, <laughs> <laughs> that question is so tied up in so many parts of my life that it's, it's, uh, it's like just diving into the deep end of the pool, not even knowing how to swim. I, I grew up uh, in an evangelical cult, uh, just kind of a situation where um, very conservative, quiverful family. Oh, fun. Yeah, it was super fun, especially for a household that had nothing but daughters. So we were, we were kept home. My family didn't believe in educating women, so we were homeschooled, heavy air quotes around that. And... Um, we didn't have television, radio, that kind of stuff. It was a, it was a very sort of isolated uh, growing up. So all that to say, I did not really have any sort of um, like media or books or ideas about witchcraft or paganism or any of those things. They just did not exist in my sphere of thought. And... Um, then something terrible happened, and I met a goddess, and I guess I just was a witch before I knew there was a word for it. Well, I'm thankful, thankful for you escaping that situation and for finding yeah, the goddess and for doing the wonderful work that you do. So as a mortician, um, which is, I'm so happy to hear that because a lot of people don't realize that for ages since maybe time immemorial you know the um mortuary work was not the domain of 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 men it was the domain of people who were you know more femme or were women and now so when i meet people that are um like either identify as women or as as non-binary and they're doing mortuary work i'm so excited because it just feels like it's coming home to the right place um but yeah what do you what drew you to mortuary work um, I, I, first I would like to say, yeah, you're, you're definitely right there up until the, the civil war, it was all women's work. And then pushing on into the 1950s, even it was very predominantly leaning toward the matriarchs of the family to take care of the dead. But 
as anything, when something becomes an industry, it becomes the realm of men and, you know, corporate ideas about making money. And, you know, we're, we're coming back around the other side of it, which I think is great. Um, at the time I went through mortuary school, I think the nationwide statistic was something like 80% of incoming students were female, female identifying femme in some way. Um, wow, so that's, that's amazing. Really, that's yeah, it's really huge. fascinating to just see it sort of coming back around the other side. And then you have all these instructors who are just like these, these like antique white guys. <laughs> They're so antique bad. White guys. <laughs> and then they're like dirty mannequins in the back of a busy penny that's about to close in my town. <laughs> Exactly. Oh that's that's mortuary school. You just described it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been in classrooms where the corpse looked more alive than the instructor. Oh my god! Ooh, <laughs> that's such a burn, oh. and yet I so know that that must be true. It's, it's so terribly <laughs> true. So, um, so do tell us though, what drew you to mortuary work in the first place? So, as I mentioned, I did not grow up with the most awesome of people. I guess when I was five years old, the worst thing that has ever happened to me happened. I was raped by an adult man in our church congregation. Mm. And um, it was one of those situations where I already knew my parents weren't safe people. I didn't really have people to run to, but I tried, which ultimately resulted in a lot of speeches how, about how it either was not true or I should not tell people it was true because nobody would want to marry me anymore because I wasn't pure and all that garbage. I wound up on Sunday morning standing in front of a church congregation sort of being explained to about how I had tempted this person and caused them to sin. And oh, my God. All this horrible stuff. And they um, told me I had to apologize to him and forgive him. Oh, and my God. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty trash. I'm not going to lie. Um, I had to ask God to forgive me and all this publicly, of course. And um, I, I remember the moment and looking back on it, I can tell that I was just totally disassociated because what do you do? You just go hollow, you know, mm-hmm. you just, you just go through the motions of whatever people are saying at you. And I remember listening to this man talk about how he was, um, he backslid from God's, eyes and how he needed to rededicate his life and he picked that moment that fucking moment to announce that he wanted to become a minister that he felt called he never looked me in the eye the whole time Mm -hmm. and not only did he become a minister he came to lead children's services oh my god nothing ever came of it after that train wreck that I found myself in front of Uh, you know the the regular minister got up and he gave the Sunday morning sermon and what he decided to talk about on that particular day was suicide and how it is a sin Mm. and he talked about how if a person took their own life which was a thing that never occurred to my five-year-old self 
that you did not get to go to heaven and you did not get to see your family or anyone you knew ever again. And I went, fuck yes, that sounds great, actually. Mm. What occurred to me in the moment was that maybe the devil wasn't a bad guy, that if all of these people hated him, that maybe he was okay, Mm. and that hell was for hiding people from the good church people like those around me. Who were really dangerous, you know, people. And and again, I was a little kid, and this was just how it struck me in the moment. And I was traumatized, and just, it was a lot. So I went home and remembered that I was told I was never to touch my father's heart pills because they were dangerous, and if you ate them, you would die. And after everyone was asleep, that's exactly what I did. Mm. I took the bottle into the hallway of the house because, for some reason, hallways seemed like a place people traveled to other places from and I wanted to be very purposeful about where I was going and I remember laying on the carpet and feeling very heavy and sort of sinking through the floor everybody talks about sort of a light at the end of the tunnel or all that kind of stuff that is not at all what I experienced I remember sort of floating downward like like you were in a pool of water or a bathtub just floating right falling further and further away from the hallway and I remember the nightlight getting further and further away and it went on like this for a long time and finally I I felt like I landed somewhere soft like like furs, like a big shaggy dog or a bunny rabbit. And I just laid there. And I cannot begin to express to you how it felt like I laid there forever, for all of fucking time, just laid there until nothing hurt anymore and I wasn't afraid. And I felt at peace. Eventually I came to feel like I, I couldn't stay there anymore, that I wasn't meant to. And I got up and started walking. And I remember distinctly stepping off the fur onto the ground because it felt so cold. Like putting Mm -hmm. your bare foot on a cement basement floor. Right. And just this damp air that I could feel this expanse just sort of swallowing me up. Like I could have walked in any direction forever. And... After just going for a bit, I saw this light in the distance, and it was sort of this cool, soft light like the moon. And as I got closer to it, I saw that the light was coming from a woman, and she had this warm, woolen green dress and big green eyes and dark hair, and I remember she had a knife on her hip. And her feet were bare. That sticks out to me when I remember it. And I remember thinking that her dress looked very fine, but also well-worn. Like this was someone that wasn't... They weren't fussy. This was someone who worked in this dress. Mm-hmm. And she leaned down on her knees, eye level, and looked me in the eye to speak to me. And 
it was the first time anyone had ever done that. And it was such a powerful moment for me because I felt seen and for once in my life recognized and important. And she hugged me and held me a long time. And to this day, if, if things are hard, I still just sort of remember what that embrace felt like. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't say everything that she said to me because it's mine, but she told me that that I was her child now and that I had to be strong, that I had work to do, that I couldn't leave yet. And then I woke up in a hospital bed with a bald doctor yelling at me about eating pills. <laughs> they aren't candy. I was a little girl who had no frame of reference for any place or person or thing like that, but still it was so real to me. And I know now that I was in a coma for four days and that during that time I died for about eight minutes and was resuscitated. Mm-hmm. But connecting with that moment and knowing that, I don't know, there's, there's something about knowing exactly, definitively, what's waiting for you is very powerful. I feel very calm about death. I'm not afraid of it because I've seen it. I've felt it. I know what it felt like to die. I know what it looked like to die. I know where I went and what I saw and what that place was for me. And it's always a little bit with me. I don't feel like it ever really left me behind. Mm-hmm. And over time, I came to the conclusion that the deity that I met in the underworld was the Morrigan. Mm-hmm. And I made oaths to her and became devoted to her work. And in my early 20s, I wound up doing hospice care, a lot of hospice volunteering, as I sort of came to terms with being a medium and um just kind of connecting with that work. I wanted to sort of look death in the face in a practical way. I wanted to see the other side of it, but it wasn't enough. And over time, I came to realize that I, I, I really needed to be in that liminal space. Maybe think about those spaces between life and death as being comas or being, yeah, being unconscious and those kinds of things. But the most liminal space you can find is in an embalming room. Mm. You're dead, but not yet buried. Your soul residing with your body until it meets its interment. A true in-between. And I wanted to be a guardian of those spaces and do the work that she sent me back to do. That's so, that's such a beautiful journey, you know, um, I think, and it's it it rings so clear to me, like how meant for that space you are, you know, because I think that the experiences we have, especially the ones that are that traumatic or that we experience that you know f- that form us in a lot of ways um, from trauma, I think that there's something that we often connect to there that is really powerful, um, and you know, just hearing you speak about it, it's, I mean, it's, it makes complete sense that that pathway to where you are now from there makes such sense to me. 
Um, and what a gift for people who, for, you know, for those that have passed to have someone caring for them right. that has that connection. Because that's, you know, as you've said, um, it's, that's not probably the usual person that they would deal with, you know, um, uh, especially, you know, in a, in a more corporate funeral environment. So I think it's really powerful for, for those passed on and those spirits to have that connection that is, that is, is willing to connect with them rather than just write them off as something that doesn't exist, you know? Exactly. And, and for, for the living, I, one of the th- the passages in your book that I really liked was that you give a very no nonsense, I'll even go to say friendly description of what happens to a human body once it's in the hands of a mortician. And you even link the practice of embalming back to the American Civil War. And I'm wondering if you might give our listeners a bit of a, of a preview of what um, that journey is like for the body once it once it gets to the mortician's hands. I, I would like to say I. There's there's a sort of push in, in many communities to write off embalming as ghoulish, environmentally unfriendly, outdated, unwanted. But I really think that's the wrong answer. I think that there's this PR problem, right? Everybody looks at embalming and they think, well, we're just cutting holes in people and running chemicals through their body and pickling them like cucumbers or whatever. But I, I really caution people to think about the history of the word. Embalming means to preserve or to impart a good smell. So if you've ever canned a vegetable, you've embalmed. If you've ever sprayed air freshener in a smelly bathroom, you've embalmed. It's about making pleasant what might otherwise be unpleasant. Your embalmer can be your ally in ritual. Embalming is a process, not a bottle of formaldehyde. So really think about what it can give you and what you can take away from that as useful within your pagan practice. If you have a green burial or or a home burial, that's well and good and wonderful, but not everyone can do those things. They can be very expensive and they can be impossible for people who don't own their own land, for example. And if you're being really honest, not everyone is prepared to look at death like they think they might be. It isn't always pleasant or kind. It, it's not necessarily the the postcard that the green burial industry wants us to, to look at. It can be very tough. So as to what might happen behind the scenes, your loved one's remains or your remains would be delivered to the funeral home, the mortuary. The first thing that we would do is give you a bath. We would take shampoo Soap, all the ordinary stuff. Scrub you from head to toe, wash your hair, give you a haircut if you need it. Shave your legs if they aren't fresh and it looks like something you usually do. Trim your beard, your mustache. Take Q-tips to your ears. Trim your nails. Paint them if they need. All that stuff. It's like your best day at the spa. If rigor mortis has set in, 
one of the ways that we relieve that is by giving the deceased a massage. Rigor mortis is really just lactic acid building up in your muscles, just like after you've worked out at the gym, you know how your muscles feel kind of stiff. If you never moved them again, that's what rigor mortis is. Because after you die, the pH in your body begins to change rapidly. It becomes much more acidic. So you get all that stiffness. So what we do is we just massage the muscles and move the limbs until it relaxes and they can be moved again. I was just going to say, that's really beautiful. That's such caretaking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Usually, even the most secular or the most Baptist of morticians usually has music playing. Often we'll pick something that we think the person might have liked. Like if this person was, you know, they were born in the 30s and they were in their prime in the 50s, we might pick that kind of music, you know. Put a lot of thought into what we're doing behind the scenes. But after we've given everyone a nice bath, I would make a small incision on the right side of the body near the collarbone to raise uh, an artery, raise some vessels, and insert a cannula, and we begin moving fluids or water through the system to flush the circulatory system. One of the reasons that we do this is there's a lot of bacteria in the body that immediately begins taking over after you die. And that's one of the things that can lead to an unpleasant appearance or bloating or all those things somebody might not like to see at their funeral. So even just rinsing through the system with water or glycerin or solutions with essential oil, there's all manner of sort of green processes we can use, or formaldehyde in the event that that's what the family wants or we need more preservation, like they're they're being shipped out by airplane or to another state. So we, we flush all that through the system. I, I just, I always try and make the, the argument that it's, you know, it is a ritual and it is a service that we're doing to try and make sure that the families have a pleasant experience. And that's not to say that green burials and home burials aren't that. I'm also a huge, huge advocate of those, but I think there's a place for all of those things. Right. So you went. You also mentioned in your book how funeral rites, even if they're non-religious, are half are just culturally heavily influenced by Christianity. But now that we're having more people who are asking for specific burials that are attuned to them being a witch, what do you find is different about a witch's funeral than a Christian-influenced funeral? I mean, oh, that that list is far too long to to make for this for this show. We could do that all night, but. Um, a huge, just really simple, small thing that nobody thinks about is seating. And you walk into any funeral home, they usually have a chapel. They're generally decked out with some gently Christian iconography, but funeral homes remove any kind of religious or political iconography for certain burial rites. So that's not unfamiliar to them if you ask for it, but um, they're always arranged like a like a chapel with the road seating and for most pagan funerals you would want circular seating so that's that's a big one i think because so many funeral homes aren't really set up for that they have the the pews will be sort of anchored in place or they're not really sensible to move and that's something to deal with are there any you know is i guess my question would be like so if i was planning you know my funeral um, and I 
didn't want it to be at all (laughs) Christian or any, any other religion, but also wanted to make sure that by default, that didn't mean that it was just non-religious, you know? So, because I think that, I mean, my, my question would be like, I think many, many, as, as you mentioned, like many places are accustomed to be prepared for, um, for a Christian or, or other large religion, uh, faith, Um, but you know, maybe they wouldn't be, uh, for someone who is pagan or, or practices other forms of magic. Is there something that you could help us or help our listeners understand? And if they're approaching this for themselves or for a loved one, is there something they should be asking? Is there, are there resources out there for them to, to find so that they can tailor it to their religious or with their spiritual views? That is a good question. And the sorry and unfortunate answer is that there's not a lot of resources out there. And it's one reason why I wanted to bring this to the table. I I hoped that my book could be that since we didn't have anything else. Uh, You guys have had the the review copy to take a peek at. And so you know that, that I tried to address everyone, not just the dying or the family, but guests who might not be pagan or uh, industry professionals who need some clues as to what to offer that family because we have so little resources and I I wanted to put something out there. But I've also started a group online and uh, people can reach out to me about it through my website, mortellus.com. But I've been building a resource network of pagan and pagan-friendly funeral directors, mortuary workers, and so on, so I can refer you to people in your area. And That's amazing. Myself and others are willing to travel to families wherever they are or act as a liaison to their their funeral home of choice and so on, uh, help connect them with what they need. But That's so brilliant. Um, I, I think that especially because, you know, especially for people that are in areas or if, if uh, you know, paying for someone to travel is something that they can't do. I think it would be amazing to have a resource to be able to reach out to someone and say, Hey, can you, I mean, either to provide them with the book or to say, Hey, here's a contact so that, um, if you, so that, you know, cause when I've had to plan a funeral of, of, of my mom and when you're in that space, you're like so overwhelmed on so many levels that you're kind of like, try, it's like you're like, okay, I just need to get through this. And so you don't want to have to, it's hard to, I think, dig through the specifics there. You need some guidance. So I think it's brilliant to have a contact that you can reach out to and say, hey, can you know, can you help explain this to my funeral director? Right. Or can I hand my funeral director this packet of information because I'm distraught and can't think straight? You know, I love that. And that's, that's really... That's really what I wanted this to be as well. And you were talking about not everyone being able to afford to bring someone in. This is, I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot right now, but more than once I have definitely just provided my services pro bono and covered my own travel to go help a family out because if that's what you do, that's, that's what our community is. Death. How beautiful. Death is something that every single one of us will face. And it, it the author Misha Magdalene who wrote outside the charm circle sort of jokingly told me after reading my book that, you know, 
religion, we had one job. Paganism had one job, and we dropped the ball. We did not address the one thing that every single person, regardless of tradition or belief or ideas, would face. Yeah. So I'm trying to fill that gap, and that's what we have to be for one another. We need to be yeah, family for each other. That's so, that's so powerful. Um, so one question that the, through your work, what have, what have you seen witches typically request either in their own funerals or in the funerals of their loved ones? I will say that, that something that I've found is that more often than not, they don't request anything. And that's the honest truth. They just they take the secular humanist funeral or whatever's available and they just go on and they say, I'll get through this day and I'll think about it later. And then they don't. And that breaks my heart. They're afraid to push and they're afraid to ask, especially in the moments when they're grieving. You know, whatever you think about yourself today in your heaviest moment, you said you planned your mother's funeral. Could you have on that day found it in yourself to push it, it's too hard sometimes but behind the scenes when I listen to people talk about what they wish they could do over what they would have had they they ask for outdoor services they, they want to be in nature um, they're asking for tokens from the prep room and think because of what funeral homes told them that it's illegal or wrong or, or they're afraid that it's giving a bad impression of, of pagans and witches. But there's nothing wrong with asking for the water your loved one was washed with, like a bottle of it, or asking for a little bit of blood a few drops on a cloth or a piece of paper or even a vial of it for your ancestor altar, whatever. There's nothing wrong with saying, I want to come in and be there or wash the body with consecrated water or I can't stand to be in the room, but can I consecrate this water and salt for you to use in their bath? Like These are things you can do. So it's, a, it's so much more, it's not just the service, it's about the whole process that that there's the oper- there's the potential to be involved, not, you know, from the moment of death up until the, the burial cremation. Right. And isn't that really the difference between us and them? I really hate playing the us and them game. Christians are all mm-hmm. about the service. It's about the one day a week or maybe the two days a week where they go and they sit and they listen. Pagans are, we're hands-on. We're about the everyday experience of what our faith is. And that's what we are. That's a difference we have in funerary needs as well. It's about being hands-on every step of the way, not just in that service. I think what, what is you know, sticking so much out for me in our conversation is how, from your work, you said that most witches don't plan for their funeral and they don't, they, there is because we don't have like a common, a common ceremony to rest upon the way that other mainstream religions might. Um, there's going to be a lot that we need to either leave for our loved ones or, um, it it feels like we, it feels like witches really need to be proactive about leaving some notes behind because you don't want to leave that on, on your, your loved ones to try to figure it out for you. I, I know I keep saying this, but you know, that's another re- that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book. I really want people to think about this and we just don't have things. And 
I think there's this sort of, there's still a lot of stigma about saying you're a witch. And in the funeral industry, there's this sort of, you know, I'll, I'll harken back to my previous statement, this antique white guy club that thinks that everyone deserves a Christian burial regardless of the life they lived. And they want you to have what they think is right. And it's so much easier to fight for something if you can say, here, this page in this book, that is what we are doing. They have something that they can look at and definitively say, okay, that's not a weird thing that this family's asking for. This is an actual thing that people do. It's in print. But, you know, that that has power. It has weight. But Well, yeah, but just like the title of your book, you said, do I have to wear black? Because so the obviously you know, the black is not the color you have to have. When, when, um, when Hillary and I lost a classmate in high school, the requirement was everybody wear bright colors because she never wore black, mm-hmm. you know? So we're all like wearing pink and blue and bright things. But I'd love to ask you, so if you were to design a witch's funeral, um, what would you love to see happen? Well, it kind of depends on the witch, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. I myself am a British traditional witch, practice British traditional witchcraft. Um, and I'm a third-degree gardenerian, so I would want something in keeping with that tradition. Um, so what I would want is I would have a very scandalous funeral by, by General Stanford. Ooh, that would be scandalous. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear this. Scandalous funeral. If I could have anything I wanted, I would I would be open-air cremated. I would be burned on a burial pyre. And there are people lobbying for it and... Maybe eventually we'll have it, but for now, it's not really something I can legally have. So I will likely be cremated unless my husband is willing to break a lot of laws, which he swears he'll do, but I, I won't I won't <laughs> hold him at fault if he doesn't. <laughs> I'll totally back him up if he wants yes, to do we that. We can all throw, throw torches at my corpse, but I'm there. I, I, I would I'm like in. to be uh, arranged sky clad for my visitations. Um, holding my ritual tools with my my coffin draped in in red gauze, and I did say coffin on purpose. I want a coffin, not a casket. I like the anthropomorphic style. So, and draped in red fabric is exactly how I would like to go into the fire as well. So, put it right back over. As you, that's beautiful. I love flames. that. But uh, something that's really important for me is that. I, I would like my obituary to plainly state that I was a witch. I, I want to leave that statement behind for, you know, whatever weird old ladies buy newspapers these days. I want, <laughs> I want someone to have to read that and know that that's what I was. And I love that. <laughs> and I can imagine, I can imagine these ladies like, <laughs> You know, like the 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 like two percent of the population that still buys a paper, and well, yes. and so you know, and they're flop, flipping through, and they're going, "Oh, but that's what." And I told I told my spouse that I, obviously I won't have like a headstone, right? But I would like to have a permanent marker, and what I want is to have a bench donated um, to one of the local parks. And I would like to have a plaque that gives my information. And I would like it to also plainly state that I was a witch. Because I'd like I I'd like to imagine that a hundred years from now, like local kids dare each other at like midnight on Halloween to sit on the witch bench <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> what? <laughs> the plaque should read, I dare you to sit here at midnight on Halloween, little. Wife. I mean, like that 
I mean, I can't like that would have been us when we were in high school right. and middle school. Like we would have been like, I would have been oh my God, <laughs> have you, have you been to the witch bench? There's, and you know, did you sit on it couple. at the stroke of midnight on the full moon? You know, <laughs> some, couple or some, some, couple. <laughs> some couple or some throuple out there is going to be like, I'm going to lose my virginity on that bench. You know, it's going to happen. You know, I, you're inviting all of this. I want there to be like stupid local legends about how I like burned down a farmhouse with a bunch of cows in it or something or whatever kids make up. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You know, like weird stories that kids come up with. Yeah. I mean, I but that's, that's so brilliant because again, it's like, I'm, I'm all for people being just abundantly proud of who they are, you know? Right. And I love, I love that that would be like, yeah, look at this beautiful bench you're sitting on. This person lived a practicing witch, you know, like this is, you know, in memory of them, whatever, whatever it says, you know? And like, you know, and it's everyone that's too weird to sit on it. Like, Oh no, like Satanism. Well, it's not for you. Fuck off. It's not (laughs) fucking for you. It's only for you, mister. You're like, you're literally, you're like, you're like, all of the benches are for you, but not, not this, this one. one. <laughs> this one. Not is, fucking this one, Karen. This is for all the kids like making Halloween memories and for that thruple fucking and for like elderly people feeding birds. That's who it's for. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my God. I love this so much. The one who was, who was drawing pictures of those pigeons and glaring at all their bullies over the edge of the notebook. That's where the bench is for. That's who I married. That's my mouse. You just described perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to switch gears a little bit here. Um, We have a listener question. We would love for you to weigh in on. It says, hi there, all the way out of South Africa. Hello, South Africa. Hello. Um, Hello. Martellus, I think you are just the right person to answer this. I am new to exploring witchcraft, and as someone who grew up in a hardcore Christian conservative family and community, I must say my mind is spinning sometimes. I have so many questions, and I really do not know who to turn to for these questions. I hope you guys do not mind me reaching out. We do not mind you reaching out. We don't mind anybody reaching out. I only have one question that really presses on my heart a lot at this moment. Where can I find someone to help me understand and learn more? Is there any safe way to attract a mentor or teacher to myself? Ooh. That's a tough question, really. That is. In a lot of ways, too, because, I mean, obviously we're going to have these vast cultural differences as well between what is safe and what isn't. I think for me... uh, kind of in the background that I had, I know how dangerous it can be kind of declaring yourself something or trying to find those things when people around you have strong feelings about what that means. And I think with all the mission churches that exist in that part of the world, this person's probably in in a situation not unlike what I grew up in, just culturally, at least the the ideas that those kinds of groups press on their communities. I don't know what they might have in terms of library access or those kinds of things. And finding a mentor really depends on what they're seeking specifically, be it a certain tradition or just information in general. But 
I will say this. I do believe firmly that every person that seeks finds their way to information as directed by the universe. So that means to me that this question came to the four of us on this night, on this day, because the gods wanted it to. So I will honor that direction from the universe and say that if this listener wants to write to me at acroandthedead at gmail.com, I will happily send them electronic versions of a few books to read, and I will happily answer any future questions that they might have. What a beautiful offer. So lovely. First of, first of all. Thank you for, for making that available. And listener, I hope that you yeah. take Mortellus up on this offer. They, they do want to help you. Um, a couple of other resources. I, I, I really agree that with what Mortellus said, you, you know, we do want you to be careful and be safe where you are. Yes. Um, there are some great online resources that if you're not able to find a person in person, um, the three that I recommend is uh, Temple of Witchcraft. Is um, you they you can all their stuff is online and you can certainly connect with them. Um, if you self-identify as female and you're attracted toward um, kind of the Welsh uh, Welsh practices, a Sisterhood of Avalon is another option. And um, if you are of any gender and are more drawn toward um, Irish practices, the Irish pagan school, um, I know those latter two are a little more tradition specific, um, but you could always just check them out and see if they're your flavor. A temple of witchcraft is a little more universal. You know, some of those communities are international and may have connections to people that they personally know in your area. If they are, exactly. you know, if you are looking for someone that's in your area or if they don't, you know, when it's safe to travel that you could maybe travel to at some point. I just think that I always, you know, uh, the more you can connect to a greater community, the more that those resources um, are, I think that makes them a little bit easier to find. And then, yes, of course, connect to Mortellus and what a gift to offer that. I also think Sacred Mists is a good option. Yes, Sacred Mists is a good Because I think they have a wide variety of things that someone who's maybe newer coming in, there's such a variety that I think they might really kind of yeah, thanks. It's for such a big. It's such a. It's such a wide ask because I feel like when you're new, you don't really know what you want to know more about yet because you're kind of trying to know a little bit about everything. So I think kind of that's part of it is first just kind of get your hands on everything you can, and I think online learning, especially with everyone having to be socially distanced, is just so such a good resource right now. Um, and just kind of learn about lots of stuff. And I think then as you start to kind of whittle down what really calls to you, I feel like then you're also going to kind of start to find certain people are drawn to you or you're drawn to them. And, and I feel like things like that then tend to manifest themselves. But I mean, I think at this point when you're new, um, just learn everything you can learn and learn about everything that interests you because I get nervous when people say that they're new to it and they want a mentor because then I feel like it's almost like they want someone to tell them how this works. And that's not really how a mentor kind of works. A mentor will help you once you know what you want to kind of help you find it, but they're not going to tell you what to look for or, or, you know, tell you this is the right path for you. That's kind of for you to find on your own. So I would say if you're in the beginning really just learn about everything you can get your hands on 
And then once you start to kind of start clicking with things, you'll start to develop a community of people and, and mentors and community will kind of naturally manifest itself. I will say this too, that uh, while I agree with your comments about mentors, that sometimes that kind of ask can be about needing companionship and friendship and family within this newfound thing that you're seeking. And I get that more than most being completely estranged from my birth family and just kind of finding my way into the craft, such a solitary person as I was at the time, not just in my craft, but in my life. I just did not have people. And uh, our question asker may be very isolated like I was. And maybe this need for a mentor is also just a need for a friend. And and I get that. I, I, I respect that. I honor it. Yeah, thank you. I think there's. I think that's a good, important reminder, um, especially in these uh, these challenging, troubling times. Um, community is community is ever more precious than ever. So, so um, well, Martella, thank you for uh, being on the show tonight. So, how can people find you if they'd like to follow your work or stay in touch? That's a good question. Um, I have a link tree at A Crow in the Dead with a lot of fun stuff. Uh, my website is mortellus.com. If you try either of those things at a, as a backslash at most places, you'll find, you'll find me. Just thanks, everybody, so much for listening. And as a reminder, if you want to support the show, the best way is to subscribe on your favorite platform and spread the word. Please, please also consider leaving us a rating and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much um, to get the word out. You can also buy us a coffee, check out our merch on our Etsy store, and for bonus content, um, become a supporter on Patreon. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And so for show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question to talk talk about on a future episode, go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, friends, keep moting that shit. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So mote it be. He humped your husband? No, he was like, I didn't see what was happening, but apparently Brian said he was like air humping while like staring at my husband. Oh my God. I'm like, hey, that's how I got pregnant twice. Let's not go there. (laughs) Air humping while staring at your husband. That's how it happened. That's what I tell people. (laughs) I can't, I can't be held responsible for this. I just woke up and they were there. That's all I know.